0: Decades before its end in 2001, Mademoiselle was admired for its élan and known for publishing new fiction by Truman Capote, William Faulkner, Tennessee Williams, and Flannery O'Connor. Sylvia Plath was an avid reader of Mademoiselle. She described it in her journal as the intellectual fashion magazine. The Mademoiselle girl was cultivated, career-minded, and just worldly enough. She was still fresh. She could enjoy an Arthur Miller play and a Yale football game in the same weekend. She shopped, danced, volunteered, and still made the honor roll. She was, in Mademoiselle's own words, perfectly turned out for college, career, or cocktails. She probably planned on getting married a little later than her peers, no high school sweethearts for her. The guest editor program started in 1939, providing a chance for undergraduate women to work on the wildly popular college issue. Each June, Mademoiselle's staff selected 20 girls, brought them to New York, put them up at the Barbizon, and paid them a real salary. Thousands of girls applied each year. Everyone wanted to be a guest editor. You would work, but you also went to parties, plays, and fashion shows. You met people like Hubert de Givenchy, E.B. White, and Marlon Brando. In 1953, the program was in its heyday, and for a literary-minded college girl like Sylvia, it was the best you could do. Sylvia was relieved to see Lori Totten in the room next to hers. Though Lori lived a few streets away from Sylvia's home in Wellesley, they had met for the first time just weeks earlier. We talked on the phone, and I remembered visiting her at her house and meeting her mother, Lori recalls. Her house was within a short walk from mine. I recall sitting on her bed in her room on the second floor and discussing the big adventure and what we hoped to gain from the experience. I was impressed to learn she had won the Seventeen Magazine Fiction Contest, one I had entered without success. I recall feeling tremendous sympathy for her when I learned she lost her father when she was a little girl. Sylvia liked the cultish, artistic Lori and immediately considered her a friend. My mother planned to drive me to New York, remembers Lori. We invited Sylvia to come with us, but for some reason at the last minute she decided to take the train. I felt comfortable with her, and at no time felt either of us was superior to the other. Sometime during this period, before we headed to New York, I remember we asked one another what we might like to come back as. I wanted to come back as a wolf, explaining that the wolf was much misunderstood and not nearly as big and bad as most people thought. Sylvia's choice was a seagull. Sylvia met the other guest editors that evening in Grace McLeod's room. Grace, who would soon be mistaken for Zsa Zsa Gabor, was the group's unofficial hostess. There was the elegant Madeline Mathers, whose father invented what would become GPS, and Neva Nelson from San Jose, who a few months prior had been immersed in a geology course in Death Valley, the site of the recent hydrogen bomb tests. One photograph shows a tan Nava blithely tossing back a 2,000-year-old radioactive fish as if it were an oyster on the half-shell. There was Eileen McLaughlin, who was sharp with words and hat-making. I can still picture her nasal snort, her way of laughing through her nose when she made a cute remark said Neva in an interview. There was Gloria Kirshner, who at 24 was already married, with a young son. She took the train in each day from the Bronx. And Janet Wagner from Kansas, who would soon be discovered by Eileen Ford of the Ford Modeling Agency, and later graced the pages of Vogue and Glamour well into the 1960s. Right away, Sylvia nicknamed Neva and Janet the cowgirl and the hayseed. Nadra Anderwart was undoubtedly one of the Paris models Sylvia had admired in her first letter home. Nadra's hair was dark with a neat gloss, and her eyes were wide but slanted like a cat's. Groomed, sleek, lips and eyes outlined, Nadra was camera-ready and remarkably photogenic. A photographer's dream. Even though in a room with the rest of us, remembers Neva, Nadra didn't join in on the conversations. I remember her spending most of her time listening to the rest of us, her head down working on her drawings, mostly of shoes. She drew shoes over and over, very fancy ones with soft velvet and jewels. Shoes were just a uniform item for the rest of us, but I remember her saying that there was big money to be made in marketing the right shoe and thinking that it was so sad that she didn't have access herself to any of the shoes that she designed. But she was way ahead of her time on this. I remember she introduced the rest of us to the Capizio, a very soft slipper that was just coming on the market, too expensive for me to buy but she was instrumental in finding a soft silk-brown pump for me to replace the black patent leather pumps that were hurting my feet. Like the pretty, mysterious natra Sylvia adored shoes, especially French ones. She would fall in love with the shoe shops along the Rue de la Paix. Pe-